while the fundamentals haven't changed, the ability to execute clearly is A, more expensive and B, more difficult. The other thing is also that I find that people is also never set and forget. Hi, I'm Holly Ransom and welcome to Coffee Pods, a podcast devoted to fueling your difference. Here at Coffee Pods, we have a simple hypothesis that in the mere amount of time it takes to share a cup of coffee with someone, we can tap into a lifetime of experience. And that's exactly what we aim to do here at Coffee Pods, to give access to some incredible individuals who've marched to the beat of their own drum and who are willing to share their advice, their insights, in order to help give each and every one of us the toolkit and the inspiration to fuel the difference that we're trying to make in our own lives, communities, and organizations. Today's guest is an absolute ripper, and you might know her because she graces our screens as the red shark on Shark Tank. I'm talking, of course, of Naomi Simpson, the founding director of online experience retailer Red Balloon, which has had some 3.6 million customers and counting. She now runs the Big Red Group, an organization housing all four of her businesses. Uh, She's the most followed Australian on LinkedIn. She's a two-time best-selling author. She's won everything from the National Telstra Businesswoman Awards to the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. And I can speak firsthand, she was one of the first people I turned to for advice when I was starting my own company. So this conversation is full of tips on how to build a successful business, what a shark looks for when they're thinking about investing, how to manage your diary, your life, uh, and to get everything done. And I think it's a conversation that you're really going to enjoy. Without further ado, here's Naomi. $25,000, a secondhand computer, your kitchen table. I mean, how did it start? Like, that's quite remarkable. Tell us about the moment where you came up with the idea for what this has grown into. Oh, I don't know, mate. It was an absolute blur. This is the funny thing is, like, I remember there were several different kind of conversations. One is I left corporate life because I had kids. Yes. And there wasn't flexible workplaces or parental leave or any of the nice things that we've got now. But also I didn't want to give up my career. Yep. And so I started as a freelance marketer because I'd always worked in marketing. Mm-hmm. And what I found was feast or famine. I would do amazing marketing plans and people would either, you know, say that's amazing and then use it as a shopping list to do one or two things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they go, oh, we haven't got time, we haven't got budget. And I, it, it would drive me spare. Um, and they wouldn't pay. It would take ages. In fact, the classic of all times was I did a marketing plan for a brand called Skins when it As was, in the compression tights. When it was just a developing product, right? right? And it was almost the one that did my head in because he didn't pay. He didn't pay and I even did his logo and his branding. No way. And so, I, you know, and every time I see skins anywhere, I say, like, the guy who started that business, who got the technology and commercialised yeah. it, um, I was like, you were the reason actually I left doing that freelance marketing stuff because you treated me awfully, like just awfully. Wow. And so I often consider the way people are treating um, others and the way people treat small businesses yep. really speaks to who they are as values. And I, I had this deep sense of injustice. So when the whole dot-com thing came along, mm. I was about, I'm a marketer, what does this really mean? I don't understand anything about the internet. Mm-hmm. But what if we could create a brand and if I delivered customers to other business owners, that Mm. would be valuable to them. Mm. 
mm. of which it's been. And so really the premise of Red Balloon is about doing amazing experiences and going off and doing fabulous things and people ticking things off their bucket list, yeah. which is what people know our consumer brand to be. But actually the underlying is we're a marketing company. We just find customers for other business owners and send the business. That's what we do. And the premise being that people would pay for that because mm. I've delivered you a customer that is valuable to you and people would pay for that versus the skins guy that never actually paid. I can't believe that part of the story. I know. I know I've that. never told that story before ever. Probably sued if somebody listens <laughs> and goes, oh, blah, blah. But, you know, I've still <laughs> but it's true. But it's the reason I just was like, you know, how could you not value what I did? Yeah. And, and um, no, it was just – and he said, oh, I just thought we were – you know, you were just helping throwing ideas out. around. And I said, no, see this bit with the proposal, which just says the amount of money. Oh, I haven't got any money, he says. Well, he does now. He <laughs> paid after the fact, <laughs> didn't he? Right. Jeez. I should have taken 1% of his business. You should have. That would have been a very good I'm a, a little bit more cunning now, perhaps, and uh, maybe it was a little naive. But, but I love that comment that you made then too, though. Like you knew nothing about the internet. You mm. built a company on the internet. So... Firstly, that preparedness to jump into something that you didn't have knowledge around. I mean, we've had this conversation a bit now around stepping outside of your comfort zone. That must have been doing it in a big way. But also the learning journey you've had to continually go on. You've kept pushing the envelope with what you've done here. You make it sound so grand, Holly. It's not that grand. It is. It's very impressive what you've done. No, but there's a certain naivety to it as well. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is you don't have to know everything. And mm-hmm. some people get absolutely paralysed by being perfect. Yeah. Oh, if I don't know everything, I can't start. Well, actually, we just have to take the first step on our journey. Yeah. You know, and the first step is the step of a 1,000 miles or whatever they say. So, so really there's a certain amount of naivety and there were so many things that I got wrong and it just didn't matter. You know, it's just the journey I was supposed to be on. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I was asked today by Alan Collar, he said, you know, tell us about, you know, some of the mistakes you made. And I said, but they're integrally a part of what I needed to learn. Yeah. Some lessons are expensive. Some lessons come in books. Some lessons come in fabulous education courses. <laughs> but whatever it is, but, you know, it's it really, it, it's it's all part of the pie. There is no one journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I equally could have given up I equally could have packed it all in it equally couldn't have worked you know so um you know bear and I think that every time I see somebody come into Shark Tank mm. I go there by the grace of God <laughs> go I you yeah. know that's me that is just me so I have a great sense of relatedness to all those people I like that that's mm. really cool mm. um, one of the things I found interesting really about the early stages of the company is it it took a little while to get going in terms of uh, I would argue I'm still not going. You know, oh, still bloody, <laughs> that scares me to think what's coming ahead then. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think there was a, a stat I was reading that two months and four days to get your first sale. Yeah. Um, but then after that, you hit this period of quite extraordinary growth. It went from 300 experiences year one to 300 a month to 300 a week to 300,000. Yeah. Tell us about managing that scale. How? What were the key things to be able to grab that by the reins and and roll with it? Yeah, I, it, when I started Rebeluna, it was part time. Yeah, and I still had my consulting business, and it wasn't until about the the six months in that I realised I wasn't managing and I wasn't coping. Okay, and I realised that the customer experience. If I didn't look after the customer experience, I wasn't going to have a business. So I had to set aside everything else I was doing, and I had to absolutely focus on that. And it became all about, because I didn't have any money, I'd spend it all, it became all about 
execution, just yep. making sure customers had a great experience, mm-hmm. making sure that they could redeem their voucher and go off and have a great time and that it was going to be great because maybe they would talk about it. Yep. So if you look at our exponential sales, you, you would also argue that in those early years, there's no such thing as social media, smartphones yeah, or it's anything all come else. since. Oh, yeah. And so, but if you think about it and look at our trajectory of growth, as technologies have come into play, so has the ability for people to be the voice on behalf of our brand Mm. and to share the story of the experience. And you're very much a model that's built to leverage off that, aren't you? In in many ways, it's incredible meeting of the two worlds, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's great. And so how hard was it in the get-go? Like, did you have... The vision for what this could be or is this completely unfolded in a way that you never could have imagined you sitting know, around the kitchen table at, I, I at guess, the start i guess we all dream yeah and we hope but actually i couldn't experience it and i couldn't understand it um and it wasn't until about two or three years i had to keep learning mm-hmm. so i did make sure that i was educating myself and it was only when i educated myself and i met other entrepreneurs and founders and let's say listen to more things and i go oh i could do that well they don't seem that clever and that sense of not that they don't seem that clever they're all fabulous i'm sure but um it was more the fact that i could do that yeah like i could do that and that's the important thing about role models it's what you do it's what i do we be role models to others mm. because we don't know who just needed to say actually i can do what she does it's not that hard mm. you know i can create a business i can work out how cash goes through a business i can do that and that's a really really important thing so what were, who were the most important role models for you so some from the way back when yeah so lindsay cattermore mm-hmm who founded a business called Aspect Computing literally last century. <laughs> uh, she worked in IBM mainframe, so it was a very long time ago. But she had a, an incredible business and a great business, which ultimately was sold to CAS Computing and became part of Telstra. Okay. So this, uh, this business. And, you know, I met her probably when I was in high school and my mother worked for her. My mum worked in computing. And I think, and my mum just said, look, you know, you could do that. You really could run a business. And I just looked at her and like, oh, yeah, whatever. So I had a lot. My father ran a business. I have a lot of people in my life who've run their own businesses, cool. which is really um, which is really great. And more recently I look to people like uh, Carol Schwartz mm-hmm. um, or um, who else do I really think of um you know well obviously janine yeah of course the gorgeous janine ellis and um you know so this i've had really great role models in my life and people that have always been happy to answer my questions and have you done that a lot over the course of your journey when you've felt like your back might have been against the wall or you haven't known where to go has it been that community that you've sort of turned to with your questions uh yeah yeah it has been uh it really has been um other entrepreneurs usually, people in the same kind of boat. What's kind of your filter for advice? Because one of the things I found quite interesting is, you know, <laughs> advice can be both good and bad. <laughs> I imagine over your journey you've had a bit of both of it. Mm. How have you made your decisions around who you let come in and speak into what you're doing and the business that you're growing? Yeah, it's funny about advice. Advice can be quite offensive. It can, can it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I really love it when some old bloke tells me how I should run my business. Uh, that's happened a few times <laughs> over. <laughs> I know. So I've found the way that I work in coaching others and the most constructive way is through storytelling. Okay. So rather than saying what you should do, say when there's a, when there's a set of uh, challenges, the way I like to be communicated with is 
oh, I found myself in a circumstance with X when I'd lost my biggest customer and I didn't know what I was going to do and how I pay my invoices. And then this is what I did to get through that. Mm. Um, and by the way, what they did to get through that was they extended terms on other suppliers and did blah, blah, blah. But speaking from experience is, le- is different than telling me what I should do. Yeah. So it's called the gestalt way of speaking. Okay. So when I'm asking for advice, when I ask the question, I don't say, tell me what I should do. I say, tell me about a time when you really struggled struggled to engage customers in your journey. Tell me about a time when you lost a supplier. Tell me about a time. And when I be like that, I find that the the value means that I can then apply it to my own circumstance and make my own way forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's subtle, but that's really powerful shift. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody likes being told like what to do. I've been running my own show for an awful long time. <laughs> you know, we get a little offended when somebody comes and tells us what we should do. Yeah. Yeah. So on the journey that you've been on thus far, what parts have you found the most challenging? And I guess what have been in a, in a practical sense, what have techniques have you used to get through those those challenging difficult moments well when i fire myself (laughs) (laughs) have you fired yourself Ah, several times (laughs) but i'd be fascinated to see that conversation take place yeah hopeless (laughs) but i try (laughs) i've got good intentions i'm doing my best (laughs) that's right look the the thing is no business is ever set set and forget you have good days and you have bad days you win some you lose some and I don't know any business that has, is having an easier time now. Mm. I think more than anything, um, you know, what was wonderful about starting in 2001 was there wasn't many online businesses around. Uh, we were quite single-minded in our proposition and as such we could get some um, share of voice. It's really hard to get sure of voice now. There is so many messages being thrown mm. at consumers every single day. Building brand loyalty and building brands is really, really hard. Yeah. Really hard to get somebody to feel something. It's really, really hard. So um, so therefore, you know, it's kind of some of the, the marketing basics, while the fundamentals haven't changed, the ability to execute clearly is A, more expensive and B, more difficult. The other thing is also that I find that people is also never set and forget, you Mm -hmm. know, and when I talk about engagement and people having a sense of purpose and loving what they do, also it's not a one-off conversation. It's over and over and over again and people will just make a choice. I don't run a kindergarten. I want to be the best place to work. But ultimately people have to choose. They have to choose to participate. They have to choose to be a part of the culture that I create. But the culture is actually created by everybody. I just set the values. I set the vision and I align people. It's up to them to participate or not. Yeah. If they want to be children and throw stones, they will. And there's nothing I can do about it. Mm. Um, and it's okay. You know, we're all adults. So um, I just, I, I, it, but I had to have a framework. I had to have an employee framework, which we created, which sets us on a journey so that we know what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm. So uh, I, I have always found that systems and processes allow us to scale and that includes how we deal with people, even though they're all individuals yeah. and they are, but I need a framework to make sure that I'm recognising people really regularly, that I notice what they do, that I see their contribution. So many questions jumping off that answer. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll talk about the noisy one first because it was the first part you brought up. Incredibly noisy landscape. You're the most 
followed person on LinkedIn in Australia, an incredible social influencer. What do you think is at the heart of, to your point there about getting people to feel things and messages that resonate, um, you've done an incredible job doing that in a very noisy world. What do you think has set you so well in that? Well, I asked the LinkedIn people. I said, why is all these people interested in what yeah. I've got to say? And I said, is it because I wear a red jacket? And I said, no, no. Uh, um, and they said, it's because I I post regularly, like really regularly. You do. You're prolific. I am prolific. But the other thing is that I write in the way I speak. So it's right. easy for people to consume mm-hmm. and it's in bite-sized paper pieces. So what I found is when I talk about business, particularly it doesn't get so much traction, but when I talk about life journey, I get incredible traction. So I think I wrote a post way back when three pieces of advice every young woman should know before she enters the workforce, and that went completely viral, Uh, you know. And then I I wrote, you know, conversations mothers should have with their sons, you know. And so um, I can't remember what I wrote about that. I don't know if my (laughs) sons listened, but anyway. So I I started writing out, which is what where the first book came from, Live What You Love, came out of kind of these life lesson pieces. Um, And, you know, one one of the pieces of advice is about brevity. So a lot of, um, especially young women when they enter the workforce, is when they write an email, Mm. it's about 400 pages long. Um, and in there somewhere is their request versus... People are so afraid to ask, aren't well, they? Well, Particularly no, they go, well, you know, I've been looking at the data and blah, 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 and I think that blah, 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 and then there's... And so the request is hidden somewhere in the middle. And then, whereas a bloke says, I want X, and that's basically his whole email, <laughs> and then I can do a better job. Oh, you go, okay. So I say that, and it's really important to say that because... We often spend so much time crafting the words we forget about the experience of the person receiving it. I love that. Great yeah. marketers always live in the world of whoever their customer or consumer is, and that in- includes the person who's receiving your messages. Yeah. So if you look at the way I write, you literally can scan it, pick up the gist, and if you want more, there'll be some links and things like that. So I, they, they tell me at LinkedIn the reason why I'm followed is because I'm easy to consume. So if you look at most blog posts, they don't speak in basic vernacular. No. They're talking about, you know, really, and there's a place for that. Sure. Because they might be speaking to a very specific audience who yeah. wants that information. But if you're looking for breadth of appeal, then live in the world of a busy person who's just either wanting to be entertained, mm. wanting a bite-sized piece of information that might add some value to their world, or um, that they, they're just, uh, you know, they're fundamentally curious and you're helping them on that journey. I love that because it's so real, but you almost feel like there's been a real resistance and maybe we've started to shift on this in the last five years, but towards being vulnerable and actually showing those sorts of side of ourselves. It was sort of work is here and then life is here and we the two shall never meet. Mm. So have you found that at all challenging or scary to sort of be so open about so many different facets of your life and put that out there for an audience? Or have you found that from the get-go you've sort of had a community around you that have, I guess, shared that and come back to you and met you in that place? Yeah. Look, I'm just one person. 
And, you know, people ask me about work-life balance and I just think it's a crock. (laughs) Yes, I've never had that and I don't think it's ever coming my way. (laughs) So I just have one life and where I choose to spend my energy in that moment is where I choose to spend my energy. So Mm. I don't ever pretend to be anything I'm not. I haven't got everything sorted out. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've had as many ups as as downs. Um, You know, my children seem to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Last I checked. Last time I checked. So, um, you you know, I, I don't ever say I just say you know I'm muddling through like everybody else I still have to put the garbage bins out and I still have to make the dinner it's so funny when we get off set as Shark Tank and everyone's so lovely to us and we have drivers and people doing our hair and makeup yeah. and could you like a drink of water and Simpson and all of this stuff and they're so lovely then I get home and of course it gets What's for dinner, Mum? You know, and there's no milk in the fridge. Like everybody else, yeah. you know, life is, life doesn't life is exactly the same as I'm sure every other you know busy parent with you know running a business and doing all things. So, what sort of strategies have you put to work for yourself in terms of that energy management side? Because you manage a really busy portfolio of things. How do you keep yourself at your best? Well, I, I do invest in myself in a bunch of ways. One is walking and yoga nice. and a ritual in the morning about that uh and every morning every morning wow amazing yeah, yeah. well andrea carter you know the gorgeous um andy she's very good at the old yoga she's very disciplined as is the gorgeous janine which does make me feel like a hippopotamus doing <laughs> yoga when i do yoga with janine but never mind about that um it's not you know the great thing about yoga it's not competitive it's just about listening to your own body which yeah. is uh and actually for most of my sport I was always doing, I was running, I was doing half marathons, I was going to the gym, and it was always more, more, more. What I realised was actually the things to keep myself and my well wellness um, great was I had to be a counterbalance to my busy life. And I didn't realise that for a long time. So instead of, try, you know, doing running and pulling weights and doing all of those things, my my strength and, and my fitness have to come from calming things. Mm. Not more, not more faster, faster, fasters. So you know, I used to have the, you know, the heart rate monitors, and oh, I get a better than I did last time. I had to throw all of those out. Just sitting all too close to home. I'm going to take lessons from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know you and your 360 days and all of that. Anyway, so um, so this, so that's that's a, a ritual. Um, also, uh, you know, relationships are really important to me, my friends, mm. my family and everything, and I make sure I invest in them. I make sure I call. I make sure I invite people. Otherwise, actually, I won't have any friends or yeah, left friends. at the end of it, right? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so I do make sure that I invest in those things and make the time to do that. I paint. I've got so I've got to paint. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Have I've, you always been artistic? I wanted to be an artist. Wow. When I was at school until my teacher told me that she could see me famous after I was dead <laughs> and starving in a garret. So, uh, what, I, what age were you when your teacher told you that? Uh, tw- uh, no, 15 or 16. <laughs> right, yeah, so. Thanks, teach. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's all good because actually if she hadn't been so brutal, I might be starving in a garret. But how much would you paint? Like, do you get much of an opportunity? Oh, yeah. to... Lately, now that we've moved into our new home, yeah, I'm painting lots on weekends. Fabulous. I, I finished a piece on the weekend. So funny, I said to my mum on the phone, I was chat, chat, chatting, I said, oh, I've finished a painting, mum, it's, it's ready to hang up. She said, okay, darling, bye. <laughs> she hung up the phone. She thought I'd said it's time to hang, hang up. up. She didn't quite hear. <laughs> no, she's so cute. Bless. No, oh, no, gorgeous. And one other thing I wanted to take you back to that you uh, touched on earlier was workplace culture because you've, I don't even know how many times now you've been awarded BRW's 
one of the best places to work. I mean, you're it's running out of room t- in the pool it, room. It's a, yeah, it's a long time ago, actually. So um, Rebelloon has been on quite a journey. So we won it five times and then we stopped entering. Um, and I left the building here for about three years. Okay. I was I sat on the board. I even took myself on the board. And there was a whole process that I really had to go through for myself. I went and did Shark Tank, went and did a whole lot of other things as well. And that's because I was in business with my ex-husband. And yep. it was time to break that cycle. Okay. So best thing I could do was leave and actually go and do some other things for myself. Yeah, right. So let the business run for itself, have the CEO, external CEO and whatever. Anyway, as it transpires, new business partner um, coming together with a big red group and acquired mm-hmm. all the shares in Red Balloon. Mm-hmm. So exited the ex-husband. As such, I'm back. <laughs> um, and, you know, what, what made us uh, really great in that whole employee experience um, was a sense of purpose. And I really felt that that was lost when I wasn't here. The founder right. energy, the pragmatism, the um, the ability to spend money wisely and get a return on it. So, yeah. you know, bringing some of those big things back in um, is a journey and will take time. But, yeah, there was three years where I wasn't here. Uh, there was no employer of choices. There was no anything. But I have returned. Yeah. And you're working, oh, chipping away. We're chipping away at that because I'm a, I, I believe in it. I want people to be proud of where they work. I mm. want them to feel a sense of accomplishment. Mm. I want them to go home feeling like a winner, that they did something worthwhile. And so that's what it means to me. And that takes leadership and it takes consistency and it's never finished. And I feel like it's a little uh, one of those topics too that firstly a lot of people pay lip service to and secondly yeah. is one of the first things to fall by the wayside when times get tough. I think staying the course on that sort of thing and acting what you talk is easier said than done sometimes. And also because I don't want to work in a place I don't want to work in. No. Like, you know, if I can't have fun at work, jeez, why why own business, I say. (laughs) Yeah, so um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now tell me, Shark Tank, obviously an incredibly exciting recent-ish development of uh, everything that you're doing. What have been... I guess I'm thinking about all the entrepreneurs that are going, oh, my gosh, if I had the opportunity to, to get up in front of sharks and pitch, as a well-seasoned shark now that's seen a lot of pitches in your time, what's what's the thing you look for and what's your biggest red flag when you see an entrepreneur get up in front of you with a pitch? When it's really obvious they're lying. <laughs> and you've work. caught a few out this season with a good oh, lie yeah. or two, haven't you? I can't work with people who blatantly lie. There's a difference between selling the future yep. and lying. Yep. So I'm, I'm pretty good at selling the future myself. Imagine what it will be like when, you know, I'm pretty good at doing that myself. But so what I'm looking for is obviously some fundamentals around business. Has a customer seen their product yep. and would they pay money for it? <laughs> and how many customers are there that'll make sense? So there's... There's kind of a few fundamentals of business. Mm -hmm. But if I look at that person and there's no alignment with values, I can never work with them, so why bother? Mm. So I'm looking for passion. I'm looking for a sense of persistence because business is long and hard and I need to know that if I'm putting my money in, they're going to stick with it. Um, I also need to know that they're going to remain positive, Mm -hmm. that they're going to look for the good, not the bad, not the, you know, all doom and gloom. How do you kind of gauge that? Oh, you can tell. You can? It's really not that hard. You've only got to ask a few questions. And not all of the questions go to here. People are on set for between an hour and two hours. Wow, okay. And it's very different to the edited six minutes. Yeah, you only see ten minutes. But I will get them talking about their past. I'll get them talking. It's like a job interview. I'll get them talking about something they're proud of. I'll get them talking about what was a tough thing they had to overcome. Mm. Sometimes there are long stories and it doesn't doesn't work for TV. Sure. Yeah. And the other one is a sense 
sense of purpose. See, people don't realise that happiness doesn't come from what you get, it's from what you give. Mm. And and it takes often a long time for people to realise and get to their point of emotional maturity. It's not about what they see in the mirror, it's about what they see through the looking glass of mm. how they can contribute. And so, you know, if I'm looking at these entrepreneurs, when they come in with just sheerly a sense of pain for whatever that customer set is going through. So I think about the guys who invented the um, anchor thing that pulls, that stops the reef from, yeah. the you know, the problem with the, um, you know, the damage to the reef. You know, they spent 17 years of their life doing that and Commitment. all this money and patent couldn't get it manufactured. And since they've been involved with Glenn, he's got them manufactured, he's got them exporting and he's got them making money. Amazing. So it is amazing what we get to do with those businesses. Mm. Um, in the end, I remember he, he offered to buy out the whole business, but they realised it's been their whole life. And they couldn't imagine life without it. So mm. They actually couldn't do the sell the whole business deal because they needed to still stay in, involved with it. And that's because they're so driven by purpose. Like mm. they so believe in it. And, and a gorgeous love story too. So um, so I guess that's why we do the program mm. is because we actually know we can make a material difference to these businesses literally with a few phone calls and using our reputation to get them the right context, giving them some money to get their OPEX going, so their um, working capital going so that they can invest in some stock and then we can make them successful. That's awesome. You yeah. mentioned giving there and I know you've been philanthropic since the get-go, but you've also had some incredible opportunities to do things like going undercover and, and making some amazing philanthropic donations over the time. How has your philanthropic work informed the way that you lead and, and the business you've grown here? So actually true philanthropy, nobody knows what you really do. Yeah. And that's the important thing. You don't do it to be seen. You do it because you're making a contribution. Mm -hmm. So it's not about putting your plaque on a, you know, on an opera seat. A Mary Simpson wing of the building or anything like that. No. And what I find is it's not just my money people want. Actually, they want my intelligence and they want my networks and they want for me to be able to make a difference to that. Mm. So my philanthropic causes are things that I know will make a material difference to our society because I put my energy, effort and love behind it. Mm. Um, and that is is how I assess it um, and what I will do. And I can't do everything. You know, no. I literally have hundreds. You know, we hand out all sorts of vouchers to all sorts of charities to help them. Raffles you know, and donations and, and all that sort of stuff. Of course we do. And we do as much as we possibly can. But in terms of my own energy, I do one or two things well and that's it. You know, so I, I sit on the board of, uh, this is hardly philanthropic, but I sit on the board of the University of Melbourne, mm-hmm. their Bachelor of Economics and um, Business and Economics. And, you know, they have a whole entrepreneurship program and 40% of their undergraduates want to be entrepreneurs. And wow. they didn't have any entrepreneurs sitting on their board. So, you know, it's real, that's, yep. that's kind of a role model thing and really I can have a chance and to... And massive influence yeah. potentially with the yeah. reach of that. Exactly. So that's why I chose that one. And then I also as am a governor of the Cerebral Palsy Research Foundation of which, you know, over the years we've managed to reduce the incidence uh, in the 10 years of the Research Foundation from 1 in 400 to 1 in 600. Wow. So sometimes the work you do, you'll never kind of know the mm. impact that it has, but that's massive in terms of people's life. And we have a belief that um, we'll not only um, cure but end CP, you know. Wow. We can what cure an amazing aspiration. It. Yeah. And we will be able to do it. And it's the first time there's been a 
global cohesive approach to research. Until 10 years ago, there was almost no research into cerebral palsy. People didn't even know what it was. So, um, yeah, the work that they've, they've done is, is, is great. And has it changed the way you've come back and approached running the business, leading the projects you've got involved with, the stuff that you've seen and, and been exposed to? I, look, I guess, again, I feel very fortunate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people can't walk 10,000 steps a day. Some people can't walk one. Yeah. And so you kind of go, wow, you know, I might be able to influence their... Keeps things in perspective too, yeah, doesn't it? their experience of life and... Uh, so yes it does I guess often I see you know there's kind of this me generation of a sense of entitlement Mm -hmm. Um, but actually the greatest source of happiness is true hard work uh, and a sense of accomplishment and knowing that you contributed there's a there's a Netflix um, there's a Netflix doco on called Happy okay and um, the first kind of guy that they look at is a rickshaw guy barefoot in India, and he's as happy as any middle-class American, wow. and he has nothing. But he's surrounded by friends. He's um, he has family, um, and and so it's really interesting of what's important to people and where true happiness comes from. And it's his ability to contribute makes such a difference. It's awesome. Yeah. Again, goes back to purpose. That yeah. continual through line of everything you've talked about. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask before we wrap up, the difference, you've worked in some massive companies before you started your own business, IBM, Apple. Uh, what's the difference for you between leading in your own business and leading in a big organisation? And what lessons can you take from both, do you think? Is there much overlap? Um, I guess when you work in bigger businesses, you're always constrained by policies and rules uh, and a whole bunch of kind of governance things, especially publicly listed businesses. And um, whereas there is a lot more freedom mm. in um, in your own enterprise. But also, we just don't have the resources. Like, you know, I was doing a speaking engagement last week and the client said, oh, we have unlimited annual leave. You can have as much as you like. Wow. And I just go... Well, we're not going to be offering that anytime soon to Rebelline. Sorry, gang. Yeah. And because, you know, it just doesn't make commercial sense. No. And we just literally positively couldn't, couldn't do, do it. it. Yeah. And so, therefore, you have to, as an employer, um, you know, you have to do do things differently. But yeah. likewise, we get to be agile yeah. and we can work faster. And I, I, a lot of people have made a... Um, uh, what do they call it, a sea change out of corporate life because they actually like to see the work that they do and the outcome that it delivers to others. Mm. So, you know, yeah. Not be a cog in the machine but actually feel Not like they're... a cog in the machine, yeah, and they like to work closer to see the results and be able to put their, their handle on it and say, oh, I did that. Love that. Mm, it's really great. So for people who are wanting to connect with you, find out more about everything you're doing, where can they best find information? Well, obviously, actually... If they go to join.naomisimerson.com, mm-hmm. you know, we always have some free download we're giving people. I think at the moment it's the chapter of the book Ready to Soar, but cool. join.naomisimerson.com um, because then they'll kind of just get little updates. Mm-hmm. But I write and I write regularly and that will give them access to whatever I'm writing about. And then also we've got a whole bunch of education and themes that are going on. I've got a little education program 
which is um, which is to support people in their business growth. So awesome. yeah, and they can access that at the same place online or online. Yeah, it's just absolutely online. Because as a speaker, you know what it's like. You know, we, in that moment, we've got yeah. one hour with that audience. People often want more and follow up and more. detail. Yeah, they want more and they want to do the work on their own business based on the kind of premise that we're talking about. So yeah, education.naomisimson.com for that one. But awesome. um, but if they just join you know from time to time i'll let them know all the things that i'm up to and i should ask where do you find the time to write does it do you block it out one day a week do you continually write when an idea inspires you how does it look it's the formula planes ah i travel so much and literally no one can call (laughs) no one can call i can't i can't you know if it's a blank page and i've got nothing to write about it's not going to happen but i collect ideas i've got a little inbox i collect the ideas uh, we have themes that we write to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, different months is different themes uh, at naomisimpson.com mm-hmm. so that I'm just not all over the show so people know what they can kind of expect. Next month it is all about people. Cool. It's all about how we bring on board. Um, and so I write to those. Um, and, yeah, I just write on planes. Awesome. Lots. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. So two final questions to close. For those people who are out there, maybe with an idea on the back burner, thinking about where to go from here, what's your best bit of advice for what they can go and do? Um, and assuming that they may or may not want to start their own business, because if they want to start their own business, being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm very big believer in people doing the work before they sit on that journey. Yep. It's a long journey. So that's why I wrote the book Ready to Soar. But in terms of... Um, you know, finding out where you spend your energy and where you feel your lightest will give you an indicator of what you want to do more of. Mm. It might be playing chess. So therefore your work becomes, my work allows me the income to support my chess habit. (laughs) So, you know, there's a whole thing of love what you do every day, but actually work for some people is just work Mm -hmm. and it supports their family or it supports their other lifestyle. So just understanding where your energy is and what makes you feel great and then what you need to do to support that is really good. Not everybody loves what they do every day. No. And I think it's misleading. You know, I wrote a book called Live What You Love, but I think it's misleading to give that as an um, expectation. Ex- expectation. Yep. It's not. Some people just need to do a job. Mm-hmm. And actually the outcome of being paid is really quite rewarding. <laughs> so um, so that's on, on that level. Um, so the other thing is if you don't know your purpose, just stay curious. I didn't come to my purpose until I was about 44. I know I'm surprising you that I'm even that old. But <laughs> Genuinely, I know. That surprises me. <laughs> imagine I'm over 44 <laughs> wow but I didn't come to my purpose until then yeah I didn't realize the contribution I could make to others I didn't see the impact I was having on people so if you don't have a sense of purpose or how am I contributing or how am I going to make the planet a better place just stay curious ask lots of questions watch where your energy is watch what you're excited about and ultimately purpose will show up and you're calling okay so staying curious is really important. Awesome. And finally, for those but out by there, the way, people yeah. are naturally curious if they're listening yes. to the coffee. We block. Well, we, yeah, I hope so. But I think sometimes we block those questions off. We feel yeah. like, oh, is it a good enough question? Am I going to look dumb if I ask that? Or so never preface with, "Is this a dumb question?" It's you the know, worst, isn't it? No, Holly. But how often that. do you hear that? Yeah, all the time. Amazes me. This might be a dumb question. Well, yeah, but made it dumb. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the final one I wanted to ask, for those who are out there listening, what would be your call to action? If you could get everyone to take up arms and do something, what would it be? Oh, apart from join.naomisimson.com. Look, there are so many choices that we have every day. So I always look, I've got 40,000 things on my in tray. Mm. So I always look at what's the one thing I need to get done today that when I do it, everything else will become easier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so your to-do list isn't a to-do list at all. It's, a, it's all working towards it. I do have a personal plan with my husband. Every year we write a plan on the 1st of January of the sorts of things, the way we want our life to be. We have a theme for our life. I love that I do this too. <laughs> yeah. Our theme this year is the good life. Hey, yeah. that sounds like a great theme choice. It's a wonderful thing because it's about family, friends, food, hosting. Yeah. Uh, it, it's about our, our wellness and well-being. It's called The Good Life. Um, so, yeah, we have themes. And, and so when I when I think about what's my one thing, mm-hmm. I also think about the theme. So making sure that I'm going, right, you know, I, I want to have a wonderful enterprise. I'm intentional about being a great leader. Yeah. But, but that also fits within the realm of making sure I'm living a good life. I love it. Naomi, thank you so much for making the time to have a chat today. Just so inspiring what you have created and built, but also the generosity with which you share from your own experience and story. I really appreciate it. So my pleasure, Holly. (laughs) So fantastic. Cheers. Brilliant. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired and have some practical ideas for how you can go and fuel the difference you want to see in your life, organization, or community. If that's a yes, please take a moment to send us feedback, shoot me a tweet at Holly Ransom, leave a review for this coffee pod, or head to www.coffeepodswithholly.com and send in your questions and suggestions for future coffee pods. But for now, until our next coffee break, I've been Holly Ransom. Thanks for fueling your difference with me.